Welcome back to the SBS Sports Talk Show presented by the Sports Business Society at UVA. I'm Michael Rockless along with my co-host Nick O'Connor and as always our busy officer of technology and producer Will Harden. Tonight we're going to talk about Championship Sunday in the NFL as well as some of the main topics in the NBA and then we're going to throw in a little splash of the Australian Open that's currently going on. And on our hypothetical question we're going to revisit an interesting NBA topic. Make sure you listen to this at 1.5 times speed. Hit it. All right, Nick, before we jump into all the things um, that I talked about um, and when I was introducing the show, let's talk about real quick the who's tonight. Or whenever, you know, against Clemson this week, yeah. they played uh, 61-36, impressive performance there. Um, and, of course, the big game is Saturday at Duke. Yeah, absolute blowout in the second half. I mean, you were at the game. So tell me, what were your uh, takeaways from the second half and kind of what adjustments did they make going into it? Well, they were causing a lot of turnovers. Clemson played a sloppy game. Uh, Grantham, their best player, Dante Grantham, uh, was injured towards ACL last week. So that was unfortunate for them. Their coach, we are sitting, you know, five rows behind him he was just he was out of out of answer so really dominating performance um by the who's uh so i just wanted to touch on that briefly and of course the big game is against duke at in durham on saturday number two at number four in the nation so that will be a huge huge game all right so we're gonna transition and talk about championship sunday well, pretty good day um for me in the nfl uh we'll start with, I guess, the the Eagles game, because that was the less interesting of the two. Uh, What were your takeaways there? And my initial thought would be, as a Saints fan who saw the Vikings end their season and then (laughs) throw up that, you know... They just didn't show up against the Eagles. I don't know what your thoughts were on that game. Yeah, it was a little disappointing to uh, for it to be that big of a blowout. I was really hoping for a closer game just because I really thought that, you know, the Vikings and Eagles were two very comparable teams. Um, we were talking about this earlier, but you mentioned that you think that one day of less rest had an impact on this game, or what do you think was the greatest difference between, you know, the Vikings we saw versus the Saints and the Vikings we saw versus the Eagles, because they were very, you know, completely different teams. Yeah, I think I'm going to give more of the credit to the fact that, I'm going to give credit to the Saints for the fact that they pushed the Vikings uh, to the limit there. Obviously, a very emotional win for them. They probably felt like they had won the Super Bowl and were just a little bit behind. I mean, and, you know, you have to go on the road to um, as good of a home field advantage in the NFL, at least over the last two years, um, and they just couldn't show up. So I give a lot of credit. I mean, yeah, I, I you did mention the, uh, the extra day the Eagles had. Um, and, you know, the Vikings, just with that crazy finish, were just seemed like a day behind. But they just didn't show up. So I give a lot of credit to the Saints for that. And, of course, you know, the Eagles did show up and played probably their best game of the season. Yeah, and I just think it was a matter of time before Case Keenum had those slip-ups that you kind of see with a lack of playoff experience. And you could kind of really tell in this game that he just, you know, wasn't that QB that you need in the playoffs. Um, and speaking of, you know, QBs, what was your takeaway of, you know, Nick Foles in that game? Yeah, I, Nick Foles, um, I was talk- it's crazy. He played a fantastic game. Um, someone was telling me earlier, like, oh, Nick Foles, he's amazing. I'm like, I'm not going to call him amazing. He played mm-hmm. an amazing game against the Vikings. The defense that the Vikings had was not anywhere near the number one defense that they had been all season long. Um, 
but I mean, Nick Foles was was excellent. I and, and one thing I've said, which is you know really impressive from a Nick Foles for for him, is that if Carson Wentz had played that game for the Eagles, um, you're not getting anything more than what you got from Nick Foles. I mean, that performance from him was about as good as you could ask for. One of the best in conference championship history. Um, so really impressive, and I'm really proud and happy for him. And obviously, the Eagles are now going to have their uh, their title shot, which we'll talk about a lot more in next week. Yeah, and so obviously that increased Nick Foles' stock as a QB, and especially if he wins this next game, the Super Bowl, you know, is really going to, you know, he's really going to be enticing to other teams that are looking for a QB. Do you think the Eagles are looking to potentially trade him? Yeah, I think that's something, um, knowing Nick Foles and knowing um, the Eagles front office, I think they're obviously going to do something in the best interest for each other. Um, I think they'll come together at the end of the season and probably say, you know, if you want this opportunity to start, assuming there is one out there, I tend to think there will be. There's enough teams looking for quarterbacks and seeing, okay, this is what the Eagles coaching staff was able to get out of Nick Foles. Um, there is enough there that some team is going to want to take a chance on him, and I think they'll try and find the best situation for him. I hope they don't send him to the Browns if that's if that's kind of what it comes down to. But um, like you said, I, I have it. I, I see it hard, um, or at least it's hard to envision Nick Foles being the backup quarterback for the Eagles next season. Also, real quick on Nick Foles, uh, Will went to the same high school as uh, our boy Nicky Franchise. So, so big shout out there. How proud are you as a uh, Westlake alum to? to be in the same breath as Nick Foles? Um, I'd say I'm pretty proud. My friends have been sending around a picture of all of us with him from back in the day. We were elementary schoolers. He got this long, shaggy hair. So some good memories there. Um, but also just shout-out to Drew Brees when he won the Super Bowl, another Westlake alum. So hey. some good quarterbacks <laughs> coming from down there in Austin. Yeah, yeah, that sounds uh, like Nick Foles' shaggy hair, kind of the underdog guy, third-round pick, uh, <laughs> roundabout way of getting to where he is right now, um, and now he's got a chance to be you know, a special player in yeah. NFL history, win that Super Bowl title. Yeah, so honestly, if you're an Eagles fan right now, this is if Nick Foles wins this next game, this is basically best-case scenario, because not only are you getting basically... Well, you win the Super Bowl. You win the Super Bowl. That's a really good case. I'll be Regardless, honest, really as, good case. as an Eagles, lifelong Eagles fan, uh, winning the Super Bowl is a good case. But going into next season, you have a very high-value Nick Foles. You're going to get Carson Wentz back. Who's the MVP Who's caliber the player. MVP yeah. caliber QB going into next season. You're can probably at least get, you know, a good defensive player, some picks for foals, you know, whatever they pan out. I mean, looking into next season, you know, regardless of the Super Bowl, you got to be pretty optimistic as an Eagles fan. Yeah, they're, I mean, right now, if you were to give me, I mean, I'm biased, but if you were to say which is the best team over the next five years, I think it's hands down the Eagles. They have the quarterback. A lot of their key players are um, locked up. Uh, Nick Foles is going to be worth something in the offseason. What looks like a great coaching staff is all going to be coming back. Shocking to me that none of those guys got jobs elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you got to love their position. It only gets better if, if they could win the Super Bowl, um, you know, in two weeks. But, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be loaded for the next couple years. Nothing's guaranteed. Um, but, you know, it's great to be in, in the position they're in, and it's happened overnight. It's been very fun to watch and very impressive. Yeah. So now we'll transition into the little more exciting game with the Patriots and Jaguars. Uh, what'd you get from that game? I, so this is my my thing. I don't know how much me and uh, Mike talked about it last semester when we did this, but I had always been a holdout on Tom Brady being the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, and I think 
he played the best game that I've seen him play on Sunday against Jacksonville. And um, I don't know if it's because I want to build some good karma up for the Eagles game, but Tom Brady has won me over. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. Extremely, extremely impressive against Jacksonville. Um, You know, they were down, but even in the fourth quarter, once they got the ball back after that turnover they had, there's no doubt in my mind that they were going to win. Yeah. Well, I, what were your thoughts on? I mean, Tom Brady is definitely the story from this game. Yeah, I mean, I think again, I think cementing his legacy, you know, as the greatest of all time. That's kind of been the topic um, of question in you know. I the, think most most people. Had, I mean, most people had had succumbed yeah, long after, long after before, last year. Well, yeah, long yeah. before, but. I mean, even so, I mean, he was really good. No, I, I, and especially when Gronk went out, he was able to, you know, elevate his game after that. And I think, I think that was even most impressive when your best, you know, wide receiver, you know, tight end goes out and you're able to elevate your game and, and, you know, take your team, you know, to the next level in that second half of football. Um, I think that was just truly impressive. Yeah, it was very Patriots-esque win. Um, Like I said, we'll talk about the Super Bowl more next week and kind of preview that. Um, but I mean, you know, they're just a team that you got to really put them away. You can't, you can't wait for them to, you know, to, to mess up or you can't wait to get a stop against them at the end of these games. Cause you know, when you put the ball in 12s, number 12s hand and it's a close game and it's late that they're, they're going to put you away. Yeah. That's just, that's how simple it is. He's scary for sure. In my mind, when I was watching the game in the first half, you know, my takeaway was, I mean, Jaguars were really impressing me in the first half. I mean, they kind of looked like that team. I mean, Leonard Fournette looked like that, you know, Hall of Fame MVP type of running back that you want to, you know, kind of build your team around. I mean, he looked really good. You kind of had the weapons on defense playing really well. Kind of what were some takeaways from the Jaguars? Yeah, I mean, I was watching the game. um, You know, I had said I wanted to root for the Patriots. And as the game got going, I, I found it very hard for myself to really, like, be all in on rooting for the Pats. Now that it's the Eagles and the Pats, I'm pretty excited about that. But, I mean, it was a very much like a, uh, a March Madness feel to it where you had this, you know, ginormous upset brewing. And Blake Bortles, you were just getting play after play of Blake Bortles just kind of wowing you and like, oh, my goodness, are they actually going to have a chance to do this? And, you know, they went up 14-3. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting stops. And, and it just looked like, you know, very much like, oh, every time, you know, this little good play happens for the Jags, like, inching closer and closer to actually being able to win it. Um, So I was impressed by them. But at the same time, I'm pretty disappointed with, you know, I'm not disappointed may not be the right word because the expectations weren't that high, but they they really just didn't seem to have enough to put the Patriots away, which, you know, granted on the road in the playoffs is a near impossible task. Um, But they they just kind of ran out of gas and um, they just, you know, when it came down to it, it was Blake Bortles against Tom Brady, which... You know, to the surprise of few, uh, Tom Brady came out ahead in that one. Yeah. So when looking at the game, do you think the talent level was there for the Jaguars, or were they just simply outmatched? They were a little bit outcoached, I think, but I, I also think a lot of that comes down to the quarterback. I think it's a lot easier to be run out of stuff or be outcoached when your quarterback is Blake Bortles and you have to play to that style so much. Because um, I think their coaching staff did a good job in the first half of the game. I mean, they were up 14-3, and they kind of had that one weird thing with the two-minute warning. They got the pass the ball back a little bit sooner, and then they need it at the end of the first half, which was a strange decision. But again, quarterback is Blake Bortles. You know, that's a limitation on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as he played early on, it was pretty evident that he, you know, is more of a fluke than it is, okay, this is who Blake Bortles is. Um and, you know, that's I, that to me, that's what happened is they just kind of ran out of gas and there's nothing left 
based on that limitation. Yeah, I think we saw throughout the playoffs, you know, you had a couple teams that, you know, had really good defenses but didn't quite have the QB situation to elevate them to the next level. I would put the Eagles in there, Vikings, Jaguars, you know, all teams that, you know, have, you know, the pieces outside the QB position but don't quite have that elite QB. And you could kind of see that in these games that you really need that dependency on a QB. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, the um, the Vikings, they did beat the Saints, and the Saints had Drew Brees. Now, mm-hmm. Drew Brees had essentially won the game for the yeah. Saints at the end um, until, you know, the Saints defense kind of blew it. And now, all of a sudden, with the Eagles, they were, again, that's another game where you had the worst quarterback um, against when they played the Falcons, at least in the way they played, and they won that one at home. And again, Bortles at Pittsburgh. So there were times where the QB was able to, they were teams were able to win in spite of the quarterback. It's just um, more the consistency factor. Yeah, I think, I think when it comes down to it, is you need that yeah. you need that quarterback. Obviously, you know, for the Eagles, Nick Foles was on that elite level at least for a, a single week. Um, so that wasn't their issue this week. Um, so we'll see moving forward uh, in the Super Bowl weather. Uh, and in generally moving forward in the NFL, if you can move towards that that notion of because I might I might disagree with you a little bit. I think there have been some of these teams. Think about the Broncos a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, that when Peyton Manning they won, oh, but, but that's it was all a defensive time team. best defense. So, but I know. But I I yeah. think in general you had three of the four teams in the semifinals. Um, at least in the Eagles' case, the way their quarterback was playing going in was they had all made it on the backs of the skill of the roster mm-hmm. and, and in spite of the quarterback. Maybe not the Vikings as much. Keenan played pretty well throughout um, the season. So I wonder if that's a model moving forward. Are you okay with you know a, an average quarterback and loading up the rest of your team um, and, and trying to win that way? Or do you just sell out for you know and hope you can get Carson Wentz or Tom Brady or whoever these elite quarterbacks are? A lot of them are old now. Um, so there, I'm, so it's just kind of interesting. So to you're, see. so you're saying that, you know, seeing these results in the past couple years of, you know, seeing these elite defenses carry these teams, you know, throughout the playoffs that this might affect the draft strategies, a lot of organizations. I think it could be a model moving forward. I think a team that's really interesting to watch in this regard, this will be the last point before we move on is Jacksonville, because obviously Bortles can be a free agent this off season. Um, what are they going to do? Are they going to try and bring Bortles back at what would likely be above what he's worth? Would they try and go all out and get a Kirk Cousins? or an Alex Smith, who are both average to above average guys, or do they say, you know, let's settle for, you know, someone who's probably at best average, you know, worse than Alex Smith or Kirk Cousins, and then we're going to save and put that money towards, you know, our skill positions or our defense where we're already excellent and just be more excellent there, be a little bit better than Bortles was, and that'll push us over the top. Because in reality for them, I mean, they were on the road in New England, they're really close to going to the Super Bowl. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the reality, and I think that can be a model moving forward. It'll be interesting to see, um, especially with quarterback scarcity, seeing it as it is. Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger are all old. Um, you know, the teams kind of abandoned the hope or at least trying to sell out to get that number one guy. Because, I mean, even the number one guy is really – it can be a lot. It's yeah. worth a lot. But, yeah. sometimes- but it, it, you, as you can see, it's, it's tough to get that one guy. Right, it's nearly impossible. All right, so let's transition real quick into the Australian Open um, going on, I guess, this week, right, is when... I When's the championship? It's Sunday. It's this well, Sunday? Sunday is for men's, and then uh, women's is, is one Saturday. Men's, okay, usually. so, yeah. so that's, that's coming up really quick. Um, I think we're going to release this on Thursday, so we may... Some guys might be eliminated, um, but I know one of the things you want to talk about, who 
couple guys who already are eliminated are two of the biggest names, uh, Djokovic, Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal. So what's what's up with those guys? Yeah, I think you could definitely tell the, the rustiness with Novak Djokovic. I was able to watch a couple of his matches, and he just didn't really look like his elite form like he used to be able to play. I mean, he just wasn't hitting you know some of those backhands down the lines and those consistent shots that you usually see him hit. And that's why he was able to, um, you know, that's why he lost to an unranked um, Chung, um, which straight is... Straight sets? Uh, no, I believe it was in four sets. It was in four? I think or, it was straight sets. It was well, a straight sets. It might have been straight well, sets. You're yeah, right. Well, we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. On that. Actually, I think you're right about that. Um, but it just, it's interesting because this, you know, this year you have um, two unranked players in the quarterfinals for men's, and you don't normally see that in tennis. Um, more you see that on the women's side. Um, so usually you, yeah, Mike, you're right. It's in straight sets. Well, yeah, straight sets. So um, he lost seven six tiebreaker seven four seven five, and then seven six again with the tiebreaker seven three. Yeah. So I mean, he was. I mean, it just really wasn't his elite form like he normally plays. Um, again, just going back to the, you don't really normally see these unranked tennis players in the men's side get this far. Um, we have, you know, Tennis Sangreen, Mike loves his Tennis, player. American guy's name is, first, <laughs> his first name is Tennis, a classic, uh, example of someone doing what they were born to do. Your, his parents named him Tennis, they knew what was coming. Yeah, so that match is going on right now, so we will, you'll probably hear about the results in the morning when you're listening to this. Um, but the last quarterfinal match that is, um, yet to be played is Roger Federer versus Burditch. So that'll be very interesting. I think the two front runners are obviously Chilich and Federer, um, and so I think you're gonna see Roger Federer come out with this. In my opinion, uh, he looks pretty clean, and it just you don't really see the competitors um, or the elite talent that he has to go through. So I think it's gonna be uh, you know his number twenty that he's gonna get to this year, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him play in the finals. So long story short, you see him getting it done on the hard court. Yeah. Oh, yeah, pretty okay. easily. And then a little bit on the woman's side, um, not much. Uh, the last American woman lost today, um, unfortunately. Bummer. So that's it. So when you don't really have Serena Williams, um, you know, in my mind, the the woman's side is, is not as interesting. Not I mean, not as interesting, but it's just it opens up a lot of possibilities because you don't really have that dominant force arena. And whenever she's playing in a, in a major tournament, she's always the front runner. And now you don't really have that. So it's just, uh, for me as an American fan watching tennis, it's just not as exciting. Did she play at all in this? I knew she came back. And did she play? No, she night? didn't. She didn't feel ready. Um, so she, I think she technically could have. I think she's technically healthy now. She just didn't feel like she was at that level where she could win a final. She's going to be an all-time athlete story. She already is an all-time great athlete. But if she ever wins a major uh, post, post-baby, post that's yeah. going to be something special. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. Uh, I that doesn't sound like anyone's ever done that. Maybe back in the day. I'm not sure with Navratilova or something like that. Back in the day, one of the great I, women. I don't, I don't think so, I, though. I bet, Will, you can look this up as best female athletes post having a child. I mean, that would be something incredible it if would she be. was able. But it kind of just shows her dominance in this sport. I mean, I, she's the greatest female tennis player of all time. Female athlete? Female athlete? That's an interesting question. I just... I don't know, because I don't really watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, I don't really watch women's soccer or, you know. Mia Hamm, like Braddockrad? Mia Hamm, exactly. <laughs> that, that could be a possibility. Uh, we, but... we, we hit up Will's high school um, earlier with Nick Foles and Drew Brees. Mia Hamm went to Mia Nick's high school. Exactly, for a short, short, short time. Hey, so they won a state title. All right, uh, we'll move into the NBA. A couple main storylines. The big one this week was Jason Kidd was fired uh, as the Bucks head coach. Had not been doing a great job there. 
But what the big deal, though, is that they're a superstar player who, by all means, is a top five asset in the NBA moving forward. Giannis into Takumpo, the Greek freak, um, was very, very upset with the decision. I don't know what your thoughts were. Um, Bucks, maybe they'll benefit, but I don't know if it's worth it if you're going to lose Giannis over this. Yeah, so it's um it's interesting situation. I think my takeaway from this is that you you kind of see that you know just because you're a great player, a smart player, doesn't mean you're always gonna be a great coach. Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher. So I mean, Jason Kidd. I think it was. I don't even. It was like two months after he retired that he got hired as a coach or something. It was right. Really with the, quickly. With the Nets, which was his old team. Yeah. So which is old team, and it just it doesn't always pan out. I'm I'm a fan of. You, you need some experience, at least coaching. It, it's a different world. I mean, you've seen it done with Larry Bird, um, with Steve Kerr, and some of these other guys that have, you know used to play very smart players and that have able to transition that into the coaching um, world. But it just doesn't always pan out. And I think kind of the Bucks and, and the Nets, you know, they put a lot of stock into Jason Kidd, and that just it doesn't always work out. Yeah, I, I think that's tough. Um, the real thing, like I said, I think is Giannis because, I mean, that's the guy that you need to build around. He seems pretty loyal um, but if you know you're gonna do something that kind of betrays him, yeah. that's not gonna end well for you when he bolts in free agency. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, before we move on, will you have some some nice tidbits on post-pregnant, post-baby women athletes? Yes, so, I'm interested in this. I think so. Um, Margaret Court was the first mother to win the Australian Open, the French Open, and the U.S. Open. Evan Goulagong was the first mother to win the Wimbledon, and Klim Klisters was the most recent mother um, to win the U.S. Open in just her third tournament back. Yeah. Wow, there you go. Yeah. So it's, it's been done before. She's not breaking any barriers there, but uh, but that'll be impressive. She can she can join that that class that uh, that group of, of uh, mothers there winning. Um, so one other NBA story: the NBA All Star rosters were announced um, this week. Any quick thoughts on that? Uh, snubs, surprises. Yeah, I think Paul George kind of finally feels the pain of playing out West and, you know, having that elite talent, you know, just obviously Paul George is, you know, an elite player, but, you know, it just shows how packed the West is and how much elite talent they have, you know, just going down the rosters. Um, I think he's an easy start, you know, maybe not easy start, but easy make for the East. Um, and I think just goes to show that in the West, it, 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 it really requires you to be that superstar. Yeah, um, my initial thought, I think pretty surprising that John Wall made it. Um, been watching the Wizards relatively closely this year. He has not been impressive, uh, which is a bummer for them. This could have been a year for them to take another step forward. Um, and then my last question to you on this will be, any chance LeBron drafts Kyrie Irving? Or Kevin Love? At this point, would he even draft Kevin Love to his All-Star team? <laughs> I... I think it's more likely that he would draft Kevin Love. I, in my mind, watching all the stuff go down in the offseason, I think there's just too much bad blood between Kyrie and LeBron. I don't know if they amended it since, you know, since then or not, but in my mind, just kind of went, went down the offseason. I can't see them playing together. Yeah, maybe we'll get a cryptic tweet, post, social <laughs> media post from LeBron about it. I, I'm also interested to see... You know, how maybe some of these rivalries, like, would LeBron take a Warrior? Is Steph going to make sure he gets all the Warriors on his team? I don't know. They're not doing that live, which is a huge disappointment. Yeah. Um, I, I they, do... they, they would do so well. they donate the money to charity, whatever yeah. they could do. But they're, yeah. they're choosing not to, I guess, NBA pettiness at its finest. No one wants their feelings exposed on that. I do time. really like this format and, 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 and compared to last year's. I think it's just something different, something new, something to change it up a little bit. You know, I like it because you kind of get, right, these discussions of, oh, is he going to draft, you know, Kyrie? 
three? Is he going to draft a warrior um, in terms of LeBron? So it's just, it, it's interesting because you kind of, you know, get a lot of debates and just, it's something different and something innovative, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. We'll see how long it lasts. All right, so now we are going to talk about our hypothetical question for this week. We're going to stick with the NBA. And um, the the main question is, how would the NBA expanding the court size right now? I don't know the exact dimensions. Will's going to look this up for us. It's 94 feet the long way. Um, but how would the expanding the court size and potentially pushing the three-point line back change the way the game is played? Before you answer, what is the dimensions? 94 feet by 50 feet. Okay, so 94 by 50 um, I think this is a real a real thing that could happen. Um, we can discuss why a little bit later on. But your initial thoughts: Would this majorly alter the sport, or would it might would it do it in a non impactful way? Should they do it? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it would majorly impact the sport. I think it would change that dynamic about how organizations approach you know, going about the three-point line. Because obviously we've seen every organization try to adopt that three-point strategy and we've seen success with it. So if you push it back, you know, is that going to affect teams' mindset in that? Um, you know, kind of what would go down. Um, but I think it is interesting, right? You know, we're talking about how in this NBA, all the players are bigger and stronger than in the past. Um, so there's just less court side, you know, there's less court space. Um, and I just think it'd be something new to change the game. But in my mind, I just don't think they would ever do that. I think it's just too big of an alteration to the game that they would ever make that. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting from that standpoint, bringing up, is it too big of a change that they would never consider making it? Um, I don't know how long the dimensions have been the way they are. Um, I would assume a very long time. Yeah. But I mean, you know, humans get bigger, the game has changed. I think the interesting thing about this that would be the most the most important reason to change it is that short corner three-point shot, which is, you know, I think it's 22 feet compared to uh, maybe 23 and a half when you're not in that short corner. I think that's that alone might be a reason that you say, you know, I don't understand why the corner three is shorter and a more valuable shot. And it's really because of the court dimensions. If you look at it, they really couldn't squeeze in um, any other, you know, any other line than what they have. Um, I could see it happening, honestly. I, yeah. I don't know how long it would take. Silver Adam Silver is a very progressive commissioner, um, but I think as shooters get better and as team style of play, you know, really, you know, is resembled by this three point layup style. I don't know. Maybe maybe some people will have some thoughts about that and say, you know what, maybe we should make this three-point shooting thing a little bit harder than it is. Yeah, but I, th- I think another thing is why they won't change it is because if you do push that three-point line back, it's going to result in less points just overall. And I think as fans, you know, I think the NBA tries to pander to them, you know, wanting more offense, wanting more points overall. Um, that's just kind of how the NBA has evolved. So I don't think they would do something to try to reduce the amount of total points in a, in a game. Are you sure that it's less points? Because Wait, you're... I, like I mean, we're pushing the three-point line back. I, but no, but here's the argument is if the court is more spread out, that, because right now it's yeah. clogged because there's a 10 big bodies you know, in a, in a small area. If you were to spread everyone out more, I mean, is there an argument there that maybe you can get 
there's just more space to operate. I yeah, mean, it's just that easier, is interesting. And easier, easier to go get two point baskets. Yeah, and that would definitely pander to you know a Steph Curry, a Steph Curry, you know, like game where he if he has some space, it just you yeah. know it's it will create just a whole different aspect to his game because you know he can you know shoot from obviously so deep, yeah. and if he has so much space, you can run that pick and roll. So I think that would open up you know different possibilities. I don't know how exactly that would affect the scoring, um, but I, I think that would be an interesting change yeah i i mean i i think there's a couple different you know ways you could go with this um you know you make the court bigger so you would just you'd push that three-point line back um i i think part of that too is it seems like guys now they're just so good at shooting three-pointers i mean mm-hmm. you even look at college they moved their three-point line back it must have been like eight ten years ago now um because, you know, it was a high school line, and you have, like, J.J. Redick, you know, back at Duke, and he's shooting, like, basically, like, for him, it's like a layup, and it's a three-pointer. Um, and I think it's almost at that point in the NBA, I don't know what the uh, percent comparison difference was. At what point did the NCAA say, all right, this is just too easy? Um, I wonder if the NBA is getting to that point where, you know, you see, all, like, Boogie Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins is out there shooting a million threes a game and he's making them some of the time and it just seems to me like it's a little bit too easy for anyone to go out there and shoot and I think you may add a little bit to the game by pushing everything back and spreading everything out a little bit more yeah I just think I I think again it's going back I just think that's a really big you know alteration to the game and that's just something completely different right you get the you know create all new courts you know it's just something that you have to really reintroduce to the game um, I just don't know if that's tangibly going to happen. I, I think that's an interesting hypothetical. Uh, but I think, you know, going back to, you know, you see these big men, right, shooting threes. You see, you know, all these college guys shooting the three better and kind of getting, becoming three-point specialists. I think because they realize, and you've seen the last 10, 15 years, it's just this evolution in the sense that if you can shoot the three consistently, you're always going to have a spot on the floor. You know, you know, just because you can play defense doesn't mean you're on the spot on the floor. But if you can shoot the ball, three ball consistently, there will always be a space for you on the floor. And I think that kind of has been spoken to to the younger generation, and they've adopted that in terms of their basketball uh, style. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. Um, you think like I don't know some of these big guys coming out like Markinen's going to be one of the most prolific three point shooting rookies of all time, and he's you know seven feet tall. Most yeah. Porzingis has ridiculous range. It's really incredible how all these big guys have, you know, transformed themselves into good shooters. I mean, because it used to be if you were that tall, you weren't going nowhere near the three-point line. You were just running, you know, post to, you know, block to block. But I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting change. Uh, Will, do you have any uh, thoughts on, on this kind of hypothetical? Would you like to see it? Um, do you think it changes the game in a too big of a way? I mean, I think it's just a change that will come periodically as it has in college. Um, so you think had, it's going to happen? I think it'll happen. I mean, it happened in women's college as well. They moved that line back? Yeah, they play the men's three-point college line since, now. Since when? Uh, I think probably two years ago. Really? Oh, let me look it up real quick. Yeah, well, really. Yeah. So while he's looking that up, I mean, I think going back to, you know, again, to these big men shooting the three ball significantly well, you know, Speaking to someone is Carl Anthony Towns, you know, starting off his career as a 34% three-point shooter and this year shooting 41%, you know, so that's an elite rate, you yeah. know, and if, if you can shoot the ball that well, it's, why take it too? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's idiotic to take it too. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's just pandering to these people who, 
you know, if you can shoot the three ball at, you know, above 37%, you know, 36%, um, whatever the league average is, and it's just, it creates a spot for you on the floor, and it just creates so many more points for you. Yeah, I guess another um, interesting way you can go down uh, this road, too, is talk about, okay, you make the floor bigger, push the three-point line back. Maybe you don't push the three-point line back, but could you add, you know, a four-point line? I know this has been, like, almost like a joke that's been talked about. I know some guys like uh, Jamal Crawford would be, like, a weirdly, like, good four-point shooter. Um, you look at his percentages from, whatever, 28 feet out. And, Eric and Gordon. Gordon and Curry would be, like, the go-to, like, yeah. unbelievable. I mean, I don't know. I think that's something. Would you – is, my, is, is that mind, ruining? I think that's more tangible than making the court size bigger because, again, it's, you know, four point play right it's something very exciting it adds more points to the game I think as a fan it's like oh he's gonna step up for a four-pointer that's just something new that's something exciting for them to see I think that would be a change in my mind that would add you know a beneficial you know uh, impact for the viewers yeah before we uh, continue Will you got a little yeah so um in the 2012-2013 season was the first year that women's college basketball three-point line was moved back to 20 feet nine inches which is the standard for men's college basketball well, you know i watch women's games and i still thought they had the short the short three-point line i guess i'm not paying attention um i don't know you're more of a basketball purist than i would than i am i would i would say um i know you know there's the debates in baseball about changing some of these rules and and for some of them, like the pitch clock in certain situations is just unfeasible without changing the game to a point that it's not even the same. I don't know how you feel um, about if they were to do something like add a four point line. Is that like a too much of a gimmick? Is it like a disgrace? I mean, that's what people felt about the three pointer when they added it mm-hmm. post ABA NBA merger. You know, late seventies, early eighties, um, and it was like you know this is a clown shot. No one, you know, the rates of shooting were so much lower. Do you feel that the four point shot? would almost like ruin the game of basketball as we know it or no i'm really all about evolving as a sport to you know pander to what the audience wants because that's how you grow an audience that's how you keep creating new fans Uh, i think a a four-point play really wouldn't ruin the essence of the game um in my mind kind of an evolution that i really don't appreciate is kind of just the lack of defense in nba i mean you watch some of these nba games and it's just it's just hard to watch i mean you watch you know demarcus cousins on defense and you know some of these james harden's on james harden's on defense and that's the evolution that i think a lot of traditional fans don't really like is that lack of defense i don't think it's really on the offensive part in my mind adding a three point four point line you know whatever it is i think that's an evolution that kind of creates excitement but i think it's more just the decrease in you know significant decrease in defense that we i feel like we see every year and it's just you know you see these guys just really lazy on defense and it's just i don't know it just makes the regular season games not very exciting yeah i think that that blame um as far as more on the nba obviously they have the 82 game schedule they have to make their revenue for whatever tv contracts they signed um they they should cut that schedule. So I guess you're not offended by a four by a four point line. No, is the bottom line. No. no. Okay, that's interesting. Um, anything else you you want to add? No, not really. Um, all right. So that will uh, wrap it up for us tonight. We will be back next week. We're gonna do a pretty heavy. I'm gonna guess Super Bowl preview, and then we'll come back with another hypothetical question. Make sure if you're listening to this, comment on what you you thought from us, or send in some. We'd love some ideas. All right. Thanks for listening.